Hello, and welcome back to Think Yourself Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Barbieri. Before we dive into this episode, I just want to remind you that if you take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram, we'll send you a 15% off discount for the eight-week Retrain Your Brain program. Just take a screenshot and tag me at Heather Barbieri RDN. Thanks for listening, and let's get right to it. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, I have special guest, Ashley. Oh, God, I'm going to fuck it up. Paddock. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ashley Paddock uh, is joining us today. And Ashley and I used to work together, so it's really exciting to see her. And I'm really excited to share with the audience what Ashley is up to. I think this is such a essential niche and need area. So um, Ashley, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I feel so excited. I know. So Ashley, tell the audience a little bit about you and what you do and, and kind of, you know, what qualifies you to have this conversation today? Sure. So I'm an occupational therapist and a holistic um, lifestyle coach. I'm also a conscious parent coach and an empathic witnessing practitioner. And that's just a fancy word of saying that I use is a trauma-formed somatic experience of helping people witness their inner child. So I hold the belief that in order to parent our children or really have any relationship for that matter, it starts with reparenting ourselves. And that is why I have decided to do parent coaching where I offer programs that we really look at who you are, what are your triggers, what's the origin story of those triggers, right? Mm-hmm. And then how does that relate to the other aspects of your life, particularly parenting? Mm-hmm. I love this. This is such a much needed area, you know, that we have to really take pay attention to. And it's so funny because, you know, you and I both have been in, in the healthcare industry for quite mm-hmm. some time. And we know how much people neglect themselves. And so children are constantly witnessing this self-neglect on a daily Mm -hmm. basis. And they're taking that information in and translating it in terms of how they nurture themselves. And so there's not an individual out there who is not in need of reparenting to some (laughs) aspect, right? (laughs) And and this isn't to say that we blame our parents and we victimize ourselves for, you know, all of the circumstances in childhood that we didn't necessarily right. like, but it does offer us an opportunity to really break the generational patterns from the witnessing that we're doing in our environment that translates into our adult behavior that most people aren't Mm. even conscious and aware of. Right. And until one day your partner's like, Oh my God, you're acting just like your mom. And you're like, what the, (laughs) my mom? No, I'm not like whatever. Like Cheryl. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, and I think it's a sign of our, evolution this isn't mm-hmm. you like you said this is not blaming this is a sign of our evolution don't Absolutely. we want our kids to do a little smidge better than what we did or a little bit differently we're all doing the best that we have with the time resources that we have available. And so right. absolutely. And and you're right. It stays unconscious until 
it's made conscious, you know? Right. Yeah. So, you know, I've done a lot of therapy in my life, as I'm sure many other people listening <laughs> have as well. And one of, you know, the concepts that was, you know, mentioned over and over and over was this idea of the inner child work. Mm. And for me, you know, that was like such a foreign, weird, how, wait, I don't understand. And there was a lot of discomfort with even trying to entertain the idea of inner child work and doing that reparenting. So tell me a little bit about the approach that you take with individuals to help them kind of settle down their nervous system, drop into that parasympathetic parasympathetic state so that they have the ability to do the neuro rewiring and actually create behavior change. So kind of talk to me a little bit about that. Yes. And you know, myself included, we tend to be so much into our heads, Mm -hmm. but the unconscious body is really in, in the body itself. You know, the body has stored information and memories that happened to us before we could even communicate them with words. And so our body keeps the score, just like the book, um, to recall all of that. So when somebody comes to me, they want to talk to me and tell me all their stories with their head. And that makes sense. Most of the people have been through big T and little T traumas that have led them to the seat in front of me. But really what helps them drop down is first finding an anchor of safety and an anchor of safety could be in your body or outside your body, but it's a place that feels safe, neutral, or less bad. And when you begin to find that anchor of safety, you notice the sensations that are there. So maybe it's warmth in your, in your heart area, or maybe it's um, a sensation in like your solar plexus. They start to notice that. And then I invite them to gently amplify that feeling within the confines of their body. Um, And if they are finding an anchor of safety, that's outside of their body, we explore to see if we can find where that might live inside their body. So we're just starting there, this very safe place of knowing that I am safe, the safe part is always with me. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is we be, bring to mind a recent or fairly recent trigger, right? Or a moment when your emotional experience seemed over the top as compared to what was happening. Mm-hmm. When we're struggling mm-hmm. with something, that's usually a message from our past, right? It has a story to tell. So we just bring to mind a recent trigger And we notice the emotions that we experienced and the sensations that we felt in the body. And so we're using kind of the storytelling Mm -hmm. to get Mm -hmm. underneath the head and into the body. Mm -hmm. What we do then is we take that sensation and emotion signature and we use our mind's eye or psyche to draw it back to that first time that you experienced that signature in the body. Now, most people will say, Ashley, I don't remember my childhood. Well, we're not going back to a certain memory here. Memories often do come up. Mm-hmm. But what we're doing is we're taking that and we're asking the body, like, show me a time when I first felt this signature. And usually they'll say, well, I was about six or I was about 10 or I remember this, you know. And then that leads us to our entry point of our inner child. We begin to witness our inner child from our empathic witness. This is the strongest, most loving version of ourselves, And we just, we notice her without judgment. We're not trying to change her or fix her. We're doing everything that wasn't done back then. And so that includes asking her or him, 
what is it, you know, first validating everything that's coming up and then asking her, what is it that you need from me? Mm-hmm. And we, we work together meeting those needs in a way that your child self could understand. Maybe it's to sit there in silence. Maybe it's to do something, um, all sorts of things. Sometimes we have feral parts in our child parts. So you want to fight you, you know, and right, um, right. we're just holding space for that. And then we, there's a process of, of bringing your, your strongest version of yourself along with your inner child, um, knowing that you and her are one, that while it may feel like you're leaving consciousness, um, and, and traveling through space, time and dimension, you and her are really one and that, and that you are always there for her. And so the process is almost like a guided meditation, but it's very interactive mm-hmm. and the tools that help people from going from, you know, mind and dropping down into the heart is tone of voice, pace, the questions that I ask that help you find the answers within yourself, um, as opposed to me having you just talk it out and direct mm-hmm. you, um, so it's a very somatic trauma informed experience. Um, and that's like the deep work. And then also there's, you know, in the parent coaching, there's smaller versions of that, that I do. That could be just like, when you see your child in front of you, what comes up for you? What is your body doing? And, you know, some people say, I don't really care for my child or I want to yell or I want to do this. And so those are also other entry points mm-hmm. to interact with that inner child. That makes a lot of sense. I know for myself, um, I had so much resistance to doing any kind of inner child work until it was probably late 2018 after another miserably failed relationship (laughs) attempt and recognizing that ultimately the only common denominator in all of these failed relationships was myself. And that's where I realized that I really needed to, you know, do that inner child work to kind of get to the root of what those core beliefs were that were allowing my circumstance to continue to repattern over and over the same pattern. And so I, um, I was up in Northern California. I took about 15 weeks in isolation up in Mount Shasta And I was absolutely terrified, frightened. I had realized that at 42 years at that point in my life, um, I had never spent any time alone. I didn't Mm. know what alone was. I essentially became a second mom at the age of eight with all of my younger (laughs) brothers and then had my first daughter by 19. And so ultimately I had massive codependent issues, you know, Mm. issues being a people pleaser, putting everyone else's needs in front of mine. So here I am up in isolation, just my dog and I, and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to, I don't know how to entertain myself. I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know how to sit here and be with my (laughs) thoughts. It was like this really challenging place. But Mm -hmm. as I forced myself to have to sit with that and experience it, some really amazing things unfolded for me. And I remember trying to figure out like, what am I going to do with this time that I have available? And then thinking back to what would eight-year-old Heather have done had she (laughs) not had the, you know, if she was not busy having to take care of her brothers, whatnot. And so that was really helpful And then I remember one day I was sitting in front of a mirror, putting the makeup on, and I heard this voice and this voice goes on to tell me, hey, you know how you think all your abandonment and rejection issues are related to your dad? And I'm like, yeah. 
And then it goes on to tell me like, what if I told you that wasn't the case? What if I told you it actually started earlier than that? And I was like, I am listening. (laughs) So ultimately, so ultimately it went on to tell me this story about how, when I was nine months old, my mother's brother passed away. He was in a drunk driving accident and a lady hit him. He was on a motorcycle. She did not stop. Uh, Rock, you know, penetrated through the helmet, caused internal bleeding, and he passed away. And her biological father was, you know, an abusive alcoholic. Her mother was an extreme codependent. She had my alcoholic drug addict father. And then also she had an eight-year-old brother and she was pregnant with my younger brother. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately at the age of nine months old, my mother did not have the capacity to be able to nurture me and give me that secure Mm -hmm. attachment because of all of the trauma, all of the pain and suffering that she was going through. And so when I had this revelation, it was such a monumental moment in my life. You know, I don't know if it was my higher self, my inner child, whom this voice was that was speaking to me, but I'm so grateful that I gave it the opportunity to come through and to have the opportunity because what it did was it gave me such a deeper understanding of who I was and why those core beliefs were shaped around abandonment and rejection and how that played into me ultimately seeking emotionally unavailable men who tended (laughs) to have narcissistic personality traits. (laughs) And I would bleed myself out to them trying to get them to see how amazing I was, right? And they in the end. And then in the end, they always left. There was always betrayal. There was all this hurt. But what it did was it allowed me to stay the victim and it allowed me to say, poor Heather, like poor Heather, nobody loves her. No one's ever going to love her. So having this revelation not only helped me understand where that core belief came from, that ultimately it was never mine to begin with. But secondly, it allowed me to have a sense of empathy and understanding for my mother that I was never capable of witnessing before. And so in that moment, when all of this information came forward for me, it was like this rush of relief overcame me. And I, all I could do was think of how much gratitude, love, and respect I had for my mother and all that she had been through. And it allowed me to just let go of all of the resentment and anger Mm -hmm. and things that, you know, had bottled up over time that were contributing to my current day circumstances that were not serving me. And so I, you know, honestly, that was the best gift I could have ever given myself. And in that moment, I felt and heard all of my inner children, all of the ages spanning (laughs) forward up until my 42 year old self saying, Thank you. Thank you, you know, for giving us this opportunity and to be able to just witness and sit there with it and then offer gratitude in the end and then have the ability to start, you know, redirecting that dialogue into a more serving place. So I know firsthand how empowering and transformational this kind of work can be. Um, 
And in that moment, I didn't understand what was happening. And I don't think I necessarily needed to understand. I just had to be open to receiving it. So how can we encourage others to drop into that place that feels so foreign and it feels so weird because it goes against everything their nervous Mm -hmm. system has ever been conditioned for? How do we help support others to be okay with moving forward with this kind of work? Yes. Um, so it's so listening to your story, it's so full circle, you know, and it all starts with attachment. And so I want to start with attachment and then I want to give you a juicy, like little tip um, and tool that I use with myself. I'm teaching it to my boys who are six and and almost four. I don't know how that happened. I did. Um, And so, you know, we are all born with this innate mechanism of attachment, which is essentially our need to be in close proximity to our parents. If you think back to our ancestors, um, of course, we had to be in close proximity to our parents. Like if we were left alone, we were the saber tooth lunch. Now, fast forward to 2023, the circumstances are different, but the wiring is still the same. And so, Attachment is just as much a need as food, shelter, water. And the time that we are dependent on our parents for these things, we're also dependent on them for emotional attachment. And so by the time that we're born, we're 25% wired. And by the time that we're three, that ups to 75%. What that means is that we are incredibly dependent on our environment to shape our brain. Now we're always like amendable for rewiring. This is where the reparenting stuff comes in. But at the earliest ages, before we can even remember with our words, we are scanning our environment and we're saying, hmm, to survive in this family system, how do I make the system work for me? And that means which parts of me does my system want? Which parts of me does my system want me to put away? Which parts of me do I need to grow because they bring hugs and closeness and smiles? And which parts of me do I need to put in the closet because they lead to, you know, the side eye, I'm left alone in my room. And so what we, what happens to us in these earliest years really form the belief system that we have about how the world operates, who we are and how we operate within that world. And it tends, we tend to fall into one of these different attachment styles. Like there's that secure attachment and then the three insecure attachments. Um, I tend to be a very anxious type attachment style where my husband's a very avoidant type. And so what happens though, no matter what attachment style you are, they become encoded in you. And we end up living out these survival adaptations as you had mentioned, like you were getting back into the same kind of relationships over and over again. Um, And we live out these patterns because they allow us to reincarnate the childhood wounding we had. Even though we don't want the wounding per se, we wanna make it go away or stop, mm-hmm. it's what the body feels comfortable and safe with. And your body will always route to that first. And because these parts of you became so crafty to keep you surviving in your first family system, they're really hesitant to let them go into adulthood. And so, these belief systems, they affect the relationships that we're in. They affect our careers, how we parent, how we relate and emote to other people. And these parts of ourselves are always looking forward. It's like a mama bear protecting her cub. She's not looking back at you to realize that you're now a 37, a 40, you know, however old you're old woman. 
It still thinks you're the three-year-old who has to play the part because you're dependent on mommy and daddy for survival. Right. So this is where the tool comes in of saying like, hey, sis, like, thanks for all you did. Thanks for your years of service. I don't know if you know this, but it's now 2023 and I'm 37 and I don't have to do the same things that I did because I get to make new choices. And so what I think is really important here and what you did, whether you knew it or not, is you were talking to the different parts of you. You know, imagine that your true self is the head of the table. You're the CEO. Mm -hmm. All these different other parts are like, you know, they, they are at the table. They're associates at the table. Our true self can listen to the associates. We can hear what they have to say, but they don't have to overrun us. Mm -hmm. But when we're unconscious, some parts are really loud and they do tend to run the show. So my tool for you is notice your patterns. Just notice. Like, oh my gosh, when my husband does this, I totally lose my shit. Or like when my kid does this, I feel some so like salty sort of way. Mm-hmm. Like get curious about that. Well, what, what is that part telling me? Because what most of us want to do is we want to say, well, I'm just not going to yell anymore. Or I'm just going to not do this. And we try to shut it down. What happens is that part gets louder because it wants to be heard and believed and it wants to protect you. But when we say, oh, like, oh, there's that part of me again, who likes everything to be perfect. And when it's not, she feels really like aggressive. (laughs) Hi, it's you again, old friend, you know, and just have a little fun with it, play with it and just say hi and just say, like, I know you got a lot of messages. I know you got a lot of things you want to say. I I hear you. And I'm just going to ask that you take a step back. Because I know there's another part of me that wants to come forward and has a story to tell, too. And I want to hear that. And so it might sound kind of silly, but just talking to that part and acknowledging it, getting curious and allowing it to express its story as you did, you found the origin of it. Mm -hmm. Then it feels seen, heard, and validated. It doesn't feel so wounded like it's exiled away. And so in doing that and just asking it like, hey, sis, take a back seat. Like, I, I know you're still at the table. It allows us to relate to that part of ourselves instead of brandishing it away instead of Mm -hmm. saying you know like you don't have a seat at the table you do and there's room for other parts too and so just notice what tends to trigger you get curious about that and then talk to that part Mm -hmm. just just get to know it these are such great tips and i think that for a lot of people trying to talk to that part they have a lot of difficulty with that visualizing and Mm -hmm. they feel silly And so I want to share for myself, I happened to come across an old brownie book that was put together from my early childhood. And I found this picture of little four-year-old Heather. And so so I found this picture and then I used this as my tool to pattern interrupt. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I started to witness and recognize or have awareness that I was in a negative self-talk loop where I was victimizing myself... I would grab this picture and I would try to say the exact same things to her that were going on here. And Mm -hmm. it was impossible. I couldn't (laughs) do it. I would look at this picture and I'd be like, you're so sweet and you just want to be seen and heard and loved and accepted and all of the things. And so for me, 
this was the tangible tool that allowed mm. me to start doing that validation that made it a lot easier to start having those more normalized conversation with my, you know, inner, inner self, inner child self. And it was really fun because in 2020, in February of 2020, I had done a lot of inner child work from 2018 through 2020. And so I decided that I was going to challenge myself to see how far I had come. And I had been invited to ceremony with ayahuasca. And I was like, <laughs> oh boy, we're going to see how this goes. But I had set my intention that if, if I had been doing the inner child work that was necessary to do all of the hearing and repairing, then I wanted my inner children to introduce me to my future selves. And it was the most magical, beautiful, just fulfilling experience. It was a one and done for me. I don't feel as if it's an experience I ever need to have again. It was really more of my ego and conscious self needing to have validation for mm. all of the work that had been, um, you know, invested up to that point. So it, honestly, this work is like, this work is the work to free ourselves, to, to mm -hmm. completely free ourselves, but also to really shift the trajectory and timelines of what is to come for the next generations. Yes. And I think it's important for people to really understand and realize, and Ashley, I'm going to share my screen and pull something up for us to, okay. to see. So I came across this clip from 1977 and it's a research study that was conducted in Italy and what we're going to witness here is a ultrasound from 1977 with a fetus inside it and inside you're going to see the green outline of the baby but what I want you to really be paying attention to is how the baby is responding to what is happening in its environment. It's profound, okay? And so the importance of this information is to help us have a better understanding that our nervous system is truly being regulated in the womb based off of the hormones and neurotransmitters that mother is releasing into the bloodstream that are literally crossing over to the placenta and then programming our nervous system for its baseline state of survival. It doesn't mm -hmm. know good or bad. It knows safe and alive. And so these chemicals that are being released become it's safe and alive. It's baseline state. So I'll play it. Pretty profound, isn't it? I would say so. <laughs> it's it's just so fascinating to me that mm. we had this information. How do I get my thing back? We had this information, you know, as early as 77, these research studies were being done. There we go. These research, these research studies have been around for decades and, you know, it's exciting that what almost 50 years later, it's finally catching up and becoming mm. more mainstream so that we can really have this evolutionary experience to shift the human experience moving forward. So the generations yeah. that are to come don't have to deal with a lot of these barriers and limiting beliefs that we have up to this point. 
So I absolutely think that what you're doing is just so essential. And I'm curious as to what brought you down this pathway. What led Mm. you to this work? Yeah. Um, Well, there was many, many parts, you know, I've always been interested in how people work and like why they are the way they are. That's just always been like fascinating to me. And no one was more fascinating to me than me. Like I wanted to figure out why I was the way I was. There was some things I really loved about myself. And there were some things that I was like, oh, here I am again, doing, going down this path yet again, like really. Um, And so I would say it was around 2013 when I started getting into the holistic health that I really understood, began to understand how all the different parts of me work together and how all the different aspects of health affect and influence who I am. But I would say my biggest first entry point was getting in a relationship with my husband. Mm -hmm. He was so opposite to any man I'd ever dated. And he pushed boundaries of me that I was like, well, first off, do I, first off, I was used to relationships that were love hard, fight hard, you know, like, oh my gosh, we fought so hard, but oh, we love so hard, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was love. Um, But it was also like my childhood upbringing. There was a lot of like love hard, fight hard stuff there. And so home to me felt like those, those big explosive moments followed by moments of connection. So that felt dysfunctional, but also safe. So I started to notice those patterns within me, then insert my now husband, and he was unlike all of that. So at first I thought like, oh my God, we have no passion. He's so boring. Like, I don't think we're compatible. (laughs) And my girlfriend was like, hey, how has that been working out for you when you go with like what feels compatible to you? And I was like, all right, I'm going to stick it out. So I introduced him to my family. I I was hoping they'd hate him, but they loved him. I was like, shit, Um, I'm going to, I'm going to stick it out. But I noticed that I had gotten on a path of wanting to change parts of him Mm -hmm. so that I could feel more comfortable and play the part I'd always played. Mm -hmm. And when I was able to really step back and ask myself first, do I really want this relationship, which I do? And two, what part am I bringing to the table? Like taking him out of the conversation. I don't control his thoughts, feelings, words, and actions. I control mine. Mm -hmm. And what I'm noticing is that I have poor emotional regulation, at least back then, you know, if I was angry, it spewed out like venom. And then I would like feel so guilty and I'd want to reel it back in. And so just being in relationship with him and taking a step back of saying like, what am I bringing to the table here? And I started to notice patterns about myself. I started to notice that um, I don't need constant validation to be love. I don't need to fight hard with someone and then chase, like have this like deep bonding moment or this incredible sex right after. And that makes it all okay. Like there's some deeper issues here and the deeper issue stems from my own being. And I started to notice that setting boundaries, I was taught as a child that my boundaries could be railroaded. Like they really didn't mean Mm -hmm. anything. I was taught that I was responsible for someone else's feelings. I was taught that Um, who I was, was sometimes too big and too much or dramatic. And so when I started to examine those parts of myself, I noticed like it really had nothing to do with my husband, like that thing he did. It had to do with these beliefs that I had about myself. And then just looking at them and being like, do I want to keep this belief? 
Like, is this the story and the narrative I want to keep doing? And what happened was essentially is that as I started to regulate my own nervous system, as I started to heal some wounded parts in myself, the shift in my marriage and my relationship began to change because I think it all has to do with internal and external safety. When we feel like we have safety externally, it leads to safety internally, which then results out to external safety again. So when I felt safe to be me and was more grounded, he could too. And then you add parenting. And that was a whole nother, you know, experience that took me even deeper into this work of really understanding the patterns that we play out unconsciously. And people will say, well, I don't remember my childhood. I don't know how my parents responded. And I'll say, look how you respond in relationships. That is your receipt. That is your proof of how you were probably responded to. And so I've gotten a lot better at just taking a step back and just, okay, this is not an emergency. This is an invitation. Um, This isn't about me changing other people. This is about me healing myself. Mm -hmm. And when I changed that perception, um, I felt more empowered. And since it's just been layer of layer. Like I have gotten so much better at setting boundaries with my mom, with coworkers, like, you know, with bosses, with, with um, females in my life, which back to my mother wound, that was something that I didn't really have. I also realized, God, I hope my parents don't listen to this podcast. Um, I also realized like, I don't have to like be somebody else to impress my dad, which is, or be someone else to impress my husband or be someone else or overgive or um, stretch myself so thin so that these people know I'm a good person who loves, you know, like my worth is not attached to what I do, but that's what I learned as a child. I learned that what I do influences how much love I give. Mm -hmm. And so that was really my entry point of just being in relationships and becoming a mother and just being tired of feeling like the victim, like being tired of, of giving all my power away to them. Well, they made me feel this way. Well, nobody makes you feel anything like they're triggering something inside of me. Everything that we're feeling today is an echo from our past. Like this isn't even about the present moment. I'm dealing with something that happened 30 years ago. Shit. (laughs) I need tools for that. (laughs) I love it that I'm so glad that I asked that question because I think that there's a lot of individuals who are listening right now saying, oh, that sounds a lot like my story. I can relate a lot to uh, what she's describing. And I just want to make the comment when you said, I hope my parents aren't listening. Okay. (laughs) I know. This is, this is the thing, you know, we aren't blaming and shaming our parents. And I had a lot of resistance with starting my podcast for, for years. I wanted a podcast, but I was very resistant to doing so because I was like, I might hurt somebody's feelings. I might offend somebody. I might say the wrong thing. Oh my God, it's going to be out there forever. And trust me, all of those things have happened in the process (laughs) of having the podcast, but The difference is I no longer judge and criticize myself for having the beliefs and the perceptions that I have, because ultimately that was what I perceived I experienced. And it's very different than what my parents might perceive they parented me as. Um, You know, I recorded a podcast with my two daughters, um, Hannah and Alyssa, and we did a 
podcast all about the divorce and all of the Mm. relationships that I had gotten into after the divorce (laughs) up to the point in my life. And it was just really interesting to have to sit there and witness their perceptions of what they experienced versus what I perceived the experience was. And it was such a beautiful, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. Like it was very difficult sitting there and hearing them express what they perceived they experienced. And then hearing how different from one to the other was when we were all living under the same roof, we were all (laughs) looking at the same conversations. But the reality is, is that we each have a different perception of that emotional trigger, how it lands in our nervous system and Mm -hmm then continues to move forward and replicate right. those patterns. We so, see the world as we are, not as it is, right? Exactly. Right? We all have our own perceptual reality. Yeah. And this is why arguing with others is just so pointless because you're never, you know, your siblings, you're like, dude, I was right there. We had these. <laughs> and it's like, no matter what, you know, it's so pointless. It's just I think that we really need to do a better job of just being better listeners, allowing Mm -hmm. people to express how they're feeling and what they're experiencing, not necessarily supporting their victim mentality. You know, that's not what I'm suggesting, but just allowing us to experience it. And I have to be honest, this is one of the things about my husband that is just so precious and I value so much because he lets me be me. He doesn't mm-hmm. judge me and criticize me for being me. He just holds that space. Yes. And that was the weirdest thing. When isn't we, it weird? I was like, yo, this isn't okay. Like, when's the ball going to drop? Bro, that's, like, that's how my husband is. And it was like, oh, well, I, I did this thing and you're not going to like walk out or threaten me or make me feel yeah. like shit. Like, or, you know, you can't make me, but like, you're not right. going to say these things in an attempt to wound me. Yeah. This is weird. Yeah. This is like trying on a new pair of jeans. Like. Yes. So when you were telling your story earlier, I was thinking to myself, oh, I know exactly what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And I think for many of us, we do. And that's that subconscious part of the brain saying, this isn't our norm. We don't know right. what that feels like because we've never been there. So I don't really think it's safe for us to verge over into that territory. So why don't we just bring it back? Over right. You've got all the stories you need, my friend, to just keep <laughs> this vicious cycle alive. But I think that this is where we really have to challenge ourselves to not engage in the story and allow ourselves right. to just feel hear, see, witness, whatever it is that's coming forward, and then having ability later to reflect and say, okay, I'm curious, what does that mean? Like, what was that trying to, you know, tell me? And that's an important, important point is like in the moment of your deep dysregulation, this is not the time to do all the deep reparenting work. Like when your nervous system is like, in in threat mode it's trying to survive you cannot think from your higher centers of your brain so a lot of this is proactive i think that that's important Mm -hmm. um in the moment you know there's things you can do i like to close my eyes bring my hand to my heart and tell myself like this is not an emergency i am safe something regulating maybe Mm -hmm. i step outside but this deep work that we have been talking about i want to be clear that this is not like in the heat 
of the moment, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Yes. And I think you brought up a really beautiful point about discomfort. We often associate discomfort as being a really bad thing, but discomfort can also be a sign that your brain is making new circuits. It's, Mm -hmm. it's creating new patterns. It's creating new stories. And that is really important because here's the thing. No, go ahead. No. Well, go ahead. Finish your thought. And then I'll say what I was going to say. Yeah. Well, the thing is we don't have to fix ourselves. We don't have to fix other people. I teach this to my kids. I don't need to fix you. What we really need to be, we need to be connected with and validated and seen and feel like we're understood. And I think that's something that my husband does really well and that we do really well now is a family unit and with our kids. Like we tell, we have taught our kids like, hey, you might have your perception, you have yours. There's a truth in the middle. And when my kids are having big emotional meltdowns, I'm not trying to fix it or make it go away, like take the discomfort and, and push it aside so that they can be happy. I sit with them and hold that safe container so that they can know themselves as mad, sad, disappointed. These are important human emotions and not one better than the other. And so when they feel seen, heard, and validated, they tend to regulate. And this is what our inner child wants to, to be seen, heard, and regulated, not to be fixed, not to be blamed, not to, you know, but just to be seen, held, and validated. And as we do this work, you may find that parental figures or other people get defensive, like, oh, well, then you're saying we did it wrong. No, I'm saying you did the best you could. This is my experience. And now I have become so attached to my like authentic self that I'm okay if I shake the ground a little bit. Right. I'm going to move from a respectful place, I, but I, and I'm going to speak my truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just important. Yeah. You know, I, you and I know each other personally, and we have insight somewhat to each other's families. And I think that you Mm -hmm. and I both grew up in very similar circumstances. And so it's very relatable hearing all of this. And it's so beautiful because you're so right. This isn't about blaming. This is about me just saying, I'm choosing that this doesn't serve me in the way that I desire it to serve me. And I am going to make some adjustments mm-hmm. to move forward in a healthier, more balanced way. And I think that that's beautiful. We as a society have been taught that discomfort is bad. If you hurt yourself and you have pain, oh, we got to make it better. Let's distract ourselves and make it better. If we go to the doctor, they're like, oh, here's the pill. Take the pill. The pain Let's will go away. Let's cut the baby out. Let's cut the baby out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's just, it's, it's constant. Let's just go ahead and brush over the pain, cover it up, pretend like it doesn't exist. And so as a result of that, we've been so conditioned to, believe that discomfort is such a bad thing that we Mm -hmm. don't have the capacity to sit in the discomfort, but the discomfort doesn't go away because it just starts showing up as dis-ease within Mm -hmm. the body that translates into, you know, disease states that are manifesting into bigger problems had we just allowed ourselves to witness, sit with, not judge, not criticize, not shame, and just be aware and allow that to transmute all of that emotion that has been stored for decades and decades and decades in the fascia of our body. Because it is stored. It is. is. That's not woo-woo stuff. Like it is our organs hold emotions like it is stored. Right. This is one thing that I I think that I, you know, my audience knows 
very, very well that whenever we go into a fight or flight state, we release chemicals and neurotransmitters into the body that create an acidic environment in the bloodstream that causes us to start producing all of these metabolic acids. And it's the metabolic acids that get trapped in the mitochondria of these tissues that start <laughs> the disruption <laughs> of all metabolic processes that ultimately end up turning into some manifest of disease. So it's real, like we can't deny this, it's real. But there is a lot we can do with it. And it all starts with awareness. And I think just the stories that, you know, we've shared today can help the audience connect with parts of themselves that they mm -hmm. can relate to and say, oh, well, I just recognized that that was relatable to me. And maybe that's what the awareness is yeah. all about. Right. Because I think for mm -hmm. a lot of people, it's just it's it's so different than what we have been taught and. There's so much shame. I know for myself that, you know, there have been many, many um, family relationships that are, have become dysfunctional by their choice because of the discomfort with the work I'm choosing to do because they want to take it personally. And it's like, right. this isn't about you. This is about me choosing to break the patterns and start to bring forth something so much better because I deserve that. I deserve that. And the thing is, is we often get like make excuses. Well, my mom had a lot of trauma. Da, da, da. I want to say yes. And like, I always believe two things are true. Yes. And you're not responsible for anyone else's healing, but your right. own. Right. And I, two quick points I want to make just hearing you talk is one, we see, we talk about emotions, like their, their emotions are meant to move through the mm -hmm. body. And when they don't, they come out as behavior. So if mm -hmm. you're noticing challenging behavior in yourself, your partner, your kids, whatever, understand that that is a form of communication, mm -hmm. punishing it, shaming it, um, whether it's your children, like I said, your inner child, it won't make the behavior better. Right. It will, it will, it will only amplify and get louder. Mm -hmm. And what was once adaptive for us as children usually become maladaptive and symptomatic as adults. And this is where the reparenting comes in. And I want to say that any change I've had in my relationships with whomever, whether it be bosses or my mom or my dad or my husband or my kids, started with me not changing or fixing them, but me doing the work with myself. And the more that I got closer to my authentic being, my essential being, my original blueprint, the other things just fell in line. I had some friendships that fell off because they didn't like when I set boundaries. It was like, I'm not willing to do that. Yep. I've also had people shift. My mom and setting boundaries with her. Now we have the best relationship we've ever had because beautiful. now she now can have the boundary. It like, it just, it reverberates. Mm -hmm. So instead of looking outward, I invite you. And I, I always tell this to my kids, gaze inward, turn that beautiful gaze right inside because that's where the healing happens that's where the change happens mm -hmm. you are made of love and you are love like you are love yeah i that's love that that's such beautiful beautiful advice for the audience i 
I believe very strongly that when we draw those boundaries and we have the ability to honor what we truly need, it helps to project to the world what we are worthy and deserving of. So when we're constantly walking around in this self-neglect victim mentality, we're just mirroring to the world how we want to be treated. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. that is exactly what we're being met with. But it serves a purpose. Mm-hmm. It's not good or bad. It serves a purpose. And the purpose is to validate those core beliefs about self that keep you stuck in these negative emotional pattern behaviors that keep creating undesirable consequences that we, you know, mm-hmm. stay victim of. And it's just, it's never ending cycle. And so I know for a fact that I would not have been able to receive my husband had I not done this work, if Mm -hmm. I had not done this work and this man walked into the room and started a conversation with me, I would have been like, yeah, I don't (laughs) So like, that guy's creepy. He like listened (laughs) to me. He didn't interrupt me. So he made eye contact, he made (laughs) eye contact, but I will be honest in the beginning of the relationship, he, he was such an incredible listener that it was really weird for me. I was like, Mm. why isn't he interrupting me? Why isn't he saying something rude? Like, I was like, this is so weird. Something's gotta be wrong with him, but because home for you probably meant the opposite of what he was giving you. Absolutely. That's what we tend to do. We tend to seek out the relationships that allow us to play the part that we've always played. And when we start to do something different, something different happens. Well, you know, it's funny, Ashley, because early in my relationship with him, um, there was one specific day where I had bought my desired Christine Cathedral crystal that I had been (laughs) wanting and had the perfect spot for it, was having my entire family over for dinner and he was with us. And I was standing in the kitchen and I was having massive anxiety. And I was like, yo, why is my anxiety so high? Like I should be in such a state of elevated gratitude. I have everything I've ever wanted. It's all right here, right in front of me. And then I realized, oh shit, that's the problem. (laughs) I was like, that's where the anxiety is coming from because I had never been in this space before. I had never allowed myself to receive on that level and at that kind of capacity that it was really challenging my core beliefs and that subconscious and the stories I was telling myself in the moment was the ball's going to drop. This isn't safe. This isn't real. Don't get too excited about this. And that's where the anxiety was coming from. Instead of allowing me to be present in that moment and truly offer gratitude for what I was experiencing. Um, But the cool thing is, I had the ability to be aware that that was what was occurring. And then I didn't judge it. I didn't criticize it. And it eventually kind of went away and I was able to enjoy the night, but it left me with a better understanding of how difficult it was for me to receive. And that I really needed to start working on the stories around receiving. And then my current circumstances, I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, I totally understand what's happening here. And a lot of what I am going through is to help me recognize that uh, no matter what state I'm in, um, he's not leaving. He's, no. he's sticking around. He's here for the long haul. And 
And I have to give myself permission to be able to receive that and accept that as my truth. Isn't that reality? Isn't that something when, when security, when secure attachment actually feels scary and threatening, Yeah, you know, it feels unsafe. That's how it is with my husband. He's been, we've been through so much. We've lost children. We've, we've, we've been through a gamut of things and he will never leave me. And like, you know, I say there's very few people who I feel like have truly authentically loved me. Mm -hmm. My grandma who's passed away, my brother who's passed away, my husband and my children, like Mm -hmm. they have but you know what? I get to add to the list. Me. You, I was just going to say. I authentically love me. <laughs> like, I fucking love me. And, <laughs> um, you know, and, and it took me 37 years to be able to say that and actually mean it. And I think when you said it felt scary to receive, I think from our various earliest years, we are, we are wired to give. We leave from the front. We're giving, giving, giving. And mm-hmm. to receive, you're selfish, you know? It, yes. It's not... Um, and then society comes along and says, yeah, like, you know, you're either selfish or you're selfless and like, there's no in between. And so we are primed to give, 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 and and to feel guilty when we receive. And it becomes this, this, this filter that we wear and we are designed to receive and to give, and we are worthy of receiving and they're the best relationships, there's a balance where you're not always overgiving, overstretching, overdoing, where you realize like, I am worthy to be received. And when we receive ourselves, other people can receive our gifts, whatever that looks like. Cause we all have mm-hmm. gifts. We all have magic. We're all, Absolutely. you know, souls in a human experience. No, no. <laughs> Gosh, literally confirmation of, of just chills throughout my entire body. You're speaking such truth. And I'm so grateful that we had an opportunity to have this conversation today, because I know that ultimately this is the work that everyone needs to be doing. If we can start focusing on this, the health, the relationships, the intrapersonal, the interpersonal, the the systems in general, they just all start working better together. And this is our way to be able to raise the collective vibration of this Mm -hmm. earth, of the planet, of humanity, so that we can offer something more beautiful moving forward instead of being stuck in all of these trauma stories and having to be addicted to the chaotic nervous system and keeping that as our base line state of survival. The reality is the universe is here to support us and mm-hmm. we just have to trust in that. Ashley, where can the audience find you? How can they connect with you? Yeah. So I would say the best way to connect with me is through my website. Um, it's Ashley Potek, P-A-T-E-K dot com. Um, there you can join our community, um, our email list, where I always, I'm once a week, I'm sending out juicy little, you know, tidbits, kind of what we talked about today. You can also book a free 45 minute session with me where we can dive into conscious parenting, your triggers, um, forgiving your parenting past, all those great things that um, really set the foundation for the relationship we have with ourselves, our homes, our communities, it all ripples out. Mm. Well, I truly respect what you are doing and have so much love for the work you're doing, the work you're doing in your own family and mm-hmm. and and just in general, you're such a beautiful being. Your light shines so bright. 
I love you immensely from day one when I met you. You're just a yes. magical person. <laughs> and mm -hmm. honestly, I couldn't be more proud of the evolution that you've had and, and what you have to offer the world. It's just truly thank beautiful. You. So thank you for the work you're doing. All thank right, you. guys, you definitely want to head over to Ashley's stuff. I'll make sure to link it all in the show notes to make it easy for you to connect with her. But she's truly gold. You just spread <laughs> magic in all possible ways. Ashley, thank you so much for being with us today. And I hope that we can do this again. I think we're going to have to go deeper into some of these topics. I think so. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Do me a favor. And if you loved this episode, please go leave a review. Reviews help make sure that this content reaches more people so that we can continue to heal as a collective. Remember to take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram at Heather Barbieri RDN for a 15% discount on the Retrain Your Brain program. See you next time.